Good morning. Welcome, everyone. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome, Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Glad you're connected there. Everybody that's connected with us online today, we're happy that you found us and connected online. Uh, we have hundreds every week connecting there from all over the country, and we're just thankful we have this technology. But also, a lot of our own church family traveling with fall break and the schools and all this gives you a chance to still be connected on Sundays, even when you're out of town. So we're happy to be able to do that. I want to thank all of our staff that works on that and makes that available for us. Let's give them a round of applause and thank them for doing such a great job with that. Before we get to our message time today, I wanted to just share uh, some prayer needs that uh, came up this past week uh, that are, are very uh, uh, very hard for a lot of people that are dealing with it right now. We have uh, one of our members, Ronald Klein, passed away. We want to be praying for Ronald's family and friends uh, as they deal with their loss. Uh, and then we have one of our members who, uh, he plays on the praise team a lot, Scott Ziegler. Uh, they have an infant. He had an infant grandson that was just not even three months old that passed away. So we want to be praying for Scott and his family and dealing with all that they're dealing with right now. I, I will give you a note of hope and praise, though, in the middle of that. They donated his organs to help save some other babies. So we're thankful that God could use that in, in that way uh, and uh, bless some other families that way. I know there are many other needs in the church family. Let's go to God in prayer together. Father, we thank you that we could come boldly to your throne of grace when we have these needs, uh, these crises, these hard things that we face in life. We know we could come to you, and you're always going to be there for us. So we lift up these families that are going through this time of loss and grief. We pray that you would comfort them as only you are able and that you would provide in such a way and they would be made so strong in their comfort from you that they could actually comfort others as you promised. And Father, we just pray that you would help us as a church family to come around each other and support each other and encourage each other and grieve with each other and celebrate with each other the things that we go through in this life. We thank you that we have this church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Is there a train coming through? <laughs> Oh, thank you. Okay. For those of you online, we had a train sound coming through the auditorium. I wasn't sure if the tracks had redirected or something. I wasn't sure what was going on there. Well, again, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. We are in week three of this series we're doing called Hope is Here. In the first week, we looked at how Jesus invites us to come to him when we are tired and weary, and he will give us rest, and he will refresh us and renew us, and boy, do we need that, right? That's a hope that we have in Jesus. Last week, uh, I was out of town, but Mike Swartz did a great job on the teaching about how we have hope for the broken. We all have some brokenness in our lives. Everybody does. And, and when we are in the brokenness, in the Especially in the, in the heartache of the brokenness, we need to know that there's hope. And Jesus assures us that even in our brokenness, we can find hope in him. He, he specializes in healing and restoring our lives when we're broken. Uh, this week, we're talking about hope for the underdog. It's hope that's given to us when we feel like we're facing things that are too big for us. I've often struggled with this saying, a lot of people will use it when people are going through hard times. Well, God will never put more on you than you can handle. Not true. Not true at all. He will often allow things in our lives that are more than we can handle. 
on our own by ourselves. And so when you're an underdog and you're facing something that you know it's too big for you, is there a reason to have hope when you know you can't handle it yourself? And that's what this story is all about. That's what this teaching is all about. In fact, the scripture is full of stories like the one we're going to look at today that remind us that even when we're facing odds too great for us to overcome on our own, God still gives us hope of overcoming, of victory, of of good things, even when at the moment they don't seem so good. There's a reason that a lot of the most popular movies in our culture are underdog stories. I mean, you probably could think of some right off the top of your head. What about Rudy? How many of you know the, the movie Rudy? This, this kid wants to go play football at Notre Dame, right? He's, he's way undersized. He doesn't have the skills, but he goes and he works hard. He finally, in the last game, gets into the game, and you know people are chanting, Rudy, Rudy, right? And we love it. We get all into it, don't we? And there are other movies like that. Rocky, right? It's a whole franchise, right? The Rocky franchise. I don't know how many they made. But Rocky Balboa is this underdog boxer that nobody thinks is going to make it to the top, right? He's against the the greatest boxers of his time. and, and, And he has this story of overcoming the odds and doing well. Well, one of my favorite ones is kind of a funny one called Cool Runnings. It's based on a true story of the Jamaican bobsled team, right? A bobsled team from Jamaica, of all places. But, but they were able to put one together and go, actually go to the Olympics and compete in bobsledding. It, it's a cool story. Cool Runnings. You see what I did there? The Karate Kid was one of my favorites from years ago. It's been around a long time, right? But this young kid who's not even trained in a formal gym or dojo, and, and he goes with the help of that one mentor that he had that helps him overcome the odds. One of my favorites, even a little more recently, I was a little older now, is The Pursuit of Happiness. About this true story of this man who wants to, to be able to take care of his son. He's a single dad, and he's he, he, he has nothing, and he, he goes, and he puts in the time. He gets into this internship program, and he finally lands this job at the end. He's an overcomer against all odds. I think we all in us have this tendency to want to pull for the underdog because I think deep down we all feel like we are underdogs sometimes. We all feel like we face some odds that are pretty big things that are really hard, things that on our own we really could not overcome and do well with. And the Bible is full of characters who face situations like that. Today, we're looking at my favorite of those characters. It's a story that you probably know at least on some level because even the phrase David and Goliath is used today for non-biblical things, for people who don't know anything about God or the Bible. We talk about great epic contests like, like David and Goliath, right, where, where there's this really underdog team facing this, this really Goliath team in sports or in life. We see that played out over and over again. And, and you know, it's kind of like Texas A&M and Alabama or something like that, right? <laughs> Did I touch on a nerve? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to touch on a nerve there. I know we got Alabama fans here. I don't know if we have any Texas A&M fans, but we have a lot of people that hate Alabama, so that works, you know. But no, I'm just kidding. You shouldn't hate Alabama. They're, 
But we have these stories, and, and we love it when the underdog does well. Well, in this classic story of David and Goliath, you could be turning to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to be looking there today where we find this, this encounter between David and Goliath. And, and you know probably a little bit about the story, but I want us to capture again the picture of what we're talking about here. At this point in David's life, he is not king. Uh, he, he's already been selected to be the king way down the road, but he's not the king. He's just a young shepherd boy. He's a, a very young adult, most scholars believe, maybe not even quite to the adult age yet because it seems like he's too young to be in the army there for Israel. So he's, he's pretty young, and he's tending the sheep, but his father sends him on this chore. He sends him to take supplies, food supplies, because David's got three older brothers, the three oldest that he had, uh, fighting the battle with the army. And they're out on the battlefield, and David has taken these supplies out there to add to the supplies that the army had, but he's taking these for his brothers to have on the battlefield. So he's just doing what his dad told him to do that day, and he's taking these supplies out there. And at this point, when he leaves that day, and he's got the sack lunches for his brothers— he has no idea what he's going to face, which is point one today. Even giants can sneak up on you. Even giants can sneak up on you. You'd think a giant would be too hard to sneak up on somebody, right? He's so big. He's so large. It's such a big thing. You would think they couldn't sneak up on anybody, but giants sneak up on people all the time. Let's pick up here in uh, 1 Samuel 17, uh, beginning with verse 20. It says, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. Now, Jesse's his dad that told him to take this food, okay? He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting their war cry. cry. All right, so the army is at least going through the motions that they should go through. The way they would often do battles there, it tells us that the, uh, the, the armies of Israel were camped on one hillside, the Philistine army is across the valley on the other hillside. And every morning, early in the morning, they would come line up and face each other on one hillside and the other with the valley in between. That's how they did battles a lot, the hand-to-hand -hand combat kind of battles that they would have then. And, and so they're doing what they normally do. They're going out there. In verse 21, Israel uh, and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. All right, so he got this younger brother. Uh, I can remember, I have an older brother and a younger brother, but I can remember as a younger brother to my older brother Ron how I tended to tag along with him a lot and aggravate him. You know, he was a little bit ahead of me in school, a little bit ahead of me getting his driver's license and all that stuff, right? And, and I was always kind of the guy tagging along with my older brother. And he was pretty good about it most of the time. But I'm sure I got on his nerves a lot tagging along like that. Now, you can picture that, right? And here's David's older brothers. They're a good bit older than him. They're all three old enough to be in the army and be fighting this battle. And, and here they are out there doing serious stuff, right? And here comes their little brother trotting along. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Right? Just checking on his brothers. And they probably thought, oh, don't embarrass us, David. You know, we're out here doing man stuff. Don't come out here, you little boy, and embarrass us in front of our troops that we serve with here. 
Verse 23, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted the usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So get the picture. Uh, Goliath steps out of the line of the Philistine army, and he starts shouting at the, uh, at the Israelite army, and he's shouting insults and challenges and ridicule. And it, they're scared of this guy. And they run from him. They're scared. Verse 25, now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Now the other two things are really good, but exemption from taxes, that's huge, right? <laughs> that's huge. You don't have to pay any more taxes. And still this guy is so, so scary to the army that none of them will take up the king's offer. They're all running and hiding in spite of what a great offer the king has made. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Then Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men he burned with anger at him and asked why do you come down here and with whom do you leave those few sheep in the wilderness I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is you came down only to watch the battle <laughs> do you detect just a bit of jealousy there you see these older brothers had already been passed over when Samuel came down to anoint who was going to be the next king I mean, nobody thought it would be David. They all thought, especially the older brothers, it's got to be one of us. Especially the oldest brother would think, I'm supposed to be the guy, right? And he'd been passed over for this younger brother, the youngest of the brothers. And so there's this bitterness there already between them. I love David's reply in verse 20 now. Now what have I done? Right? <laughs> I felt like that sometimes as a, as a younger brother. Well, what have I done now? Like, get you all mad. Get you all. You, know, you don't even realize sometimes that you're aggravating your older brother, that you're making it hard on your older brother. And uh, David is just saying, well, what do I do now, man? Come on. I'm just out here checking on things. Brought you some supplies. Come on. Give me a break. He says, can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. So word gets back to Saul, but David is out there that day thinking, I just came to bring food to my brothers. Check on how they're doing. The dad told him, you check on how they're doing, and you come back and report to me. Bring me back the report on how, what's the situation there? Any father would be concerned about his sons off at war, right? And he wants to get a report there. Okay, everything's good, Dad. And so David goes out that day not expecting to face any giants. Have you had days like that where you just go out like it's just going to be another day? Got to go to work. Got to get the kids to school, right? Got to... Got to get the laundry done. Got to pay some bills. You just got to do the normal stuff today. And a giant sneaks up on you that you didn't expect. You see, David didn't go out there to fight a giant that day. The giant came to David that day. David was just trying to do the normal stuff that a younger brother was told to do by his dad. 
What is it in your life? Maybe not right this moment, but you can think back and remember some times where a giant snuck up on you, and maybe you've got one right now. It could be a phone call with a diagnosis you weren't expecting. It could be a discovery of infidelity in your spouse. It could be a temptation that you didn't see coming that you fell into and hurt a lot of people. Nobody asked to be placed in those situations where a giant sneaks up on you. Nobody plans, today I hope a giant sneaks up on me, right? I hope something really big comes up against me today. I don't think anybody lives that day-to-day life planning for that. That's why if you don't have yourself where you need to be when you start the day already, boy, a giant can sneak up on you and do a lot of damage. It can really hurt you. If you haven't prepared, if you haven't put your life in the right relationship with God, if you haven't put your faith where it needs to be, in whom it needs to be, and the giant sneaks up on you, it can just crush you. That's why it's important to be ready for the giants that can sneak up on you every day. It's important for you to prepare like you need to prepare. Because when you find yourselves in this place as the underdog against this great big giant, you need to have a reason to have hope when you face the giant. You need to have a source that can give you hope when the giant sneaks up in your life and you weren't expecting it. And that leads to the second thing today that's really important for us to grasp. Here here it is. Hope is rooted in the character of God. Hope is rooted in the character of God. You see, we think hope is rooted in, well, you know, I worked out today, and I, I ate well today, so, I, I, you know, I, I've changed my lifestyle, and I, I've been, I'm living my best life today, so everything's going to be good. Well, well, guess what? Giants can still sneak up on you, even when you're doing all that stuff you're supposed to be doing. You see, we live in a fallen world. We live in, under the curse of sin, and giants are out there, and they sneak up on you, even when you're doing what you need to do the right way. They still sneak up on you. David wasn't doing anything wrong that day, and a giant, a giant was something he had to face that day, even though he was doing all the right things. So let's remember that that hope is rooted not in us getting everything in order for ourselves and doing all the right things, and we can get to that place where giants won't be a problem for us anymore. It doesn't work that way. Hope is rooted in the character of God, not in you. Look at verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant servant will go and fight him. (laughs) Can you imagine how Saul reacted at first? I can imagine Saul trying to (laughs) turn a little bit and cover his face because he's probably snickering a little bit. I don't want to embarrass the boy, but this is funny, right? This is really funny. This boy wants to go face. My whole army's scared of this guy, and this boy wants to go face this giant on our behalf. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. 
Not only is he big and strong, but he is a seasoned soldier who has been trained and equipped for battle and probably had lots of experience fighting hand-to-hand combat. And David has zero experience, never been in the military, no training, no equipping for this job. The giant snuck up on him, and he wasn't, he wasn't the one that was prepared from the world's viewpoint on how you need to be prepared to face a giant like this. Well, David went on. He said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. And if you stop there, you would think David's confidence is in himself. Right? If you just stop there in the story, he'd say, well, you know, I've been out there watching sheep, and I'm so tough and so strong that we went lion and a bear came up to take those sheep. I just went after him, and I took care of that lion. I took care of that bear. I rescued my sheep both times. Look at me. I'm a warrior. I'm a hero. I can take care of this. It sounds like he might be going that direction if you just stop there. But that's not where he stopped. Listen to it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Oh, who does he introduce into the story? God. The God of the armies that are facing this giant, right? The Lord, he says in verse 37, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. <laughs> Saul had, had the spirit of the Lord removed from him already. He wasn't really in tune with God, but, but he saw something in David that said, man, you've got this, there's something about you, this trust you have in this God. I, I'm going to let you go do this. But see, David says, I have hope because of the character of the God who's delivered me already many times before see when you know you could trust the character of God your creator your sustainer when you know he's got the kind of character that you can trust him even in the face of the giants you can have hope even when the giants sneak up on you even when the things happen that you didn't know and didn't prepare for didn't have any way to prepare for they just snuck up on you but you've got a God whose character you can trust and believe in right there that you can call on hope is rooted and knowing and believing in and trusting the character of God. What causes a young boy like David to take on this monstrous task of going up against this giant? I just want to give you some stats here. The Bible gives us, I love how the Bible gives details about things so we could, we could check things out and, and, and test the Bible to find it to be true. Uh, and about Goliath, it gives us some measurements there. And Goliath... According to the measurements we have, as best we can estimate in our way of measuring, was nine feet, nine inches tall. <laughs> nine feet, nine inches. <laughs> if he stood under a basketball goal and spiked his hair up, it would hit the rim, right? That's how tall this guy is. And he's not just tall. You know, you know how you can be tall and lanky and awkward? That was not Goliath, Right? He was not t- this guy wore armor, it says, that weighed 125 pounds, just the armor that he wore. 
you got to be pretty stout to carry around and wear around armor that weighs 125 pounds. He had a spear, the Bible tells us, that just the point on the spear weighed 15 pounds. Now, this is a spear that you would throw. And just the head, the point weighed 15 pounds, not to mention the rod, the shaft that it was on and all that. This guy is massive. And remember, the way they fought battles then was hand-to-hand combat. This was not something you're going to send in a drone, you know, and blow them up. You, got, you didn't have that, right? So, so you've got to deal with this guy face-to-face, hand-to-hand, mano a mano, and deal with this threat, this giant. And David says, I'll go up against him. He had this hope. And the hope that he had was that he would not fight the battle alone. It's hope that God would be there, that he wouldn't be doing this in his own power, in his own strength. David's reasoning for this hope comes from God's faithfulness. He believed that in his heart, that God had the kind of character that he would always be faithful to his people and keep his promises. And that gave him the hope to go out and face this giant. Do you know that about the character of God in your life? Do you have that kind of faith and trust that that's the character of the God you believe in? Because even if a giant sneaks up on you, if you know that, you can still have hope. If you've got that in your heart, you can still have hope. That leads to something else we need to remember that David actually remembers very well. And that is he remembered that our spirit, our battles are really spiritual battles. Our battles are truly spiritual battles. That giant that you're facing, you see it, you see a nine-foot, nine-inch guy there, but what the battle was really about was was a spiritual battle with, with David's heart being put where it needed to be, where David's faith being placed where it needed to be to face that giant. And yours may be, you know, a, a huge money giant. Yours may be a huge marriage struggle giant. Yours may be a huge health struggle giant. Whatever it is, that's what you're seeing. But what you need to see is the spiritual battle that's going on. And what God wants is for your heart and your faith to be where it needs to be. That you can know you can trust the character of your God. Let's look at verse 38. What continued to happen here? Saul's ready to send David out to battle. So what, what does he do? All right, let's look at it. It says that uh, he put, he dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword uh, over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. You know what Saul's thinking? Nothing about a spiritual battle here. Saul's thinking about a physical battle. So he says, well, if you're going to go fight a physical battle against a giant, we got to get you suited up, right, ready to go. I can remember the first time I played football. Believe it or not, I was small. And uh, (laughs) I know it shocks you. It surprised you. But I was pretty small. And and as midget league football, they called it back then. Can you imagine that? Yeah. (laughs) You couldn't use that term anymore, but, but they called it midget league. You know, so I fit right in. No, and, uh, 
I'm shorter than the others and smaller than the others. And they go in and they're fitting us for equipment. And they have these helmets, of course. And, you know, these big old clunky helmets. We didn't have the, the really nice ones in our little midget league there. So we had some just, you know, the best we could get with the money we had to work with. And they weren't great helmets. But they had all these helmets. And they start putting helmets on me. And all of them were just wobbling around. I look like a bobblehead, you know. And, and, and they didn't have one that would fit me. I said, well, I want to play football. They had to order me a special order helmet. I got one of the best helmets in the whole group. But I had to get a size smaller than they ever had in stock there, right? In their equipment room. Well, they got David trying to get them all suited up. And it's Saul's armor, right? Saul had been a warrior. He had been a soldier that led his troops to great victories in the past. And now it should have been an honor of getting the king's armor to wear to go out in the battle. But when David has all this armor on, he tries to walk. Can you see him walk? It was like me walking around with that helmet and those things on right in that equipment room. Everything was too big. Everything was clunky and awkward. It just wouldn't work. And David realized right away, that it wouldn't work. And so he's got to deal with the fact that he knows he can't fight with all this, even though the king has tried to do something good for him. He says, I can't go in these, he said, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. The staff would have been what he had had as a shepherd out there keeping the sheep. It'd be like a long wooden stick that he would use there, okay? He took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So David decides instead of wearing all that stuff, he's going to go out with his own stuff. It says here, uh, verse 41, Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that there was little more than a boy. He was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. <laughs> I don't know this, but I've got a feeling, you know how when great athletes get near the end of their career, they can feel intimidated by the young kid coming along? Right? I, I don't know how old Goliath is, but he's been a seasoned warrior for a long time now, right? So he looks at this young kid, and he's just young, and he's great looking, and everybody probably thinks he's a great looking young man, and they don't say that about Goliath, right? So he's just angry at this young man that makes him feel bad about himself. And he's, in, he's also insulted that they would send somebody like this out to face him. It's an insult to him, he thinks, that they would send a kid out there to face him. So it says, uh, he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. So he says, why are you coming at me with sticks? Now, the sticks would be, he may have had the staff with him. I don't know if he did, but he probably still was carrying his staff. Shepherds usually did carry it wherever they went. But he also had his slingshot. And we think of a slingshot as like what we use today. And it wasn't really like that. It was really two sticks with, with straps of leather connected to it with a pouch in it. And they would take that and sling it around like this. It wasn't like the ones we use where you pull it back and shoot it like that. It was one you would spin around and then release one of the sticks on one of the sides and the sling would open up and throw the rock that way. And so you could picture David out there with these sticks and these bands of leather and the giant is just insulted and angry that he came out to him like that. He can't believe that, that he is being treated this way in his mind in such an insult kind of way. So he says, come here, I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you, how? 
in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, I'm going to beat you down and cut off your head. Is that what he said? No. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David understood this battle was what kind of battle? Spiritual battle. And he knew that in a spiritual battle, God wins every time. God has already won before the battle even takes place. You see, when we're facing the giants in our lives, we have to remember it's really a spiritual battle. But we serve a God who wins that battle every time. We can have hope in the face of odds that people would say you're foolish to do it. I love what Paul said about this in Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rules, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. Our battle is a spiritual battle. But friends, I want to close with this last point. You probably know the rest of the story. We're going to look at it. Here's what you need to know about the hope that David had that we can have. Hope is contagious. Hope is contagious. Now, so is criticism and complaining and griping. That's contagious too. But hope is contagious. Verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. It goes on to say he ran up to him, took out the, the glass on sword and cut off his head and took it back as a prize to show everybody what God had done. You see, David's hope in God, when he rushes that giant and takes him down, it begins to spread like wildfire. I want you to go back and read the rest of the story. The whole, uh, the whole Israelite army gives out a cheer and a roar, and they take off after the Philistines, and they chase them down, and they wipe out the whole Philistine army, and they go back to their camp, and they take all their stuff as the spoils of war, and and. That very morning, they were running in fear. And later that day, they're charging the enemy on the other side with all hope and confidence because one man, one young man against all odds had the hope and the faith in his God that allowed him to stand up against the giant that snuck up on him that day. And here's my question for you. Here's what I want you to think about. Because, friends, it begins with one person, maybe in your family. It could be you. Maybe in your school where you're taking classes, it could be you. 
maybe in your neighborhood, maybe, maybe in your workplace where things are just a mess right now, wherever it is, could it be you that's the person that, that takes the hope of God into that place, into that home, into that, into that business, into that community, maybe into your church, you could be that person who against all odds that nobody expected, but who rose up with the hope that God wants you to have in your heart. And it's contagious, and it will infect other people. And when you have that hope, and it affects that person, and they have that hope, and it affects that person, and they have that hope, then together that hope can change the world. Could it be you? That's that young person, that young, you just say, I'm not young. You don't have to be. I'm not talking about an age here. That's that person that nobody expects that rises up with that kind of hope today that God's going to use to spread that hope to others because we're living in a time where hope is being lost and people are searching for it in all the wrong places and they're not finding it and there's despair and there's suicide and there's, there's loss of hope all around us and people are just, they're, they're just not knowing where to go or what to do and your presence with that hope could change everything for those people. But you have to have it yourself for God to use you to spread this hope to others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have this story recorded for us so that we could be inspired by this underdog, David, who against all odds had the hope that you want us to have. It's hope rooted in you, in your character, in your faithfulness, in your power, in your provision, in your presence in our lives. That's where the hope lies. Father, help us. Help us today to be people of hope. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.